We're so glad that you've joined us today on the Relevant Church Podcast. There's so much God wants to do in and through you as you listen to this message. If you want to learn more about Relevant Church, visit us online at thisisrelevant.cc. Ever been on the phone and you're just waiting in the queue? And that music is coming in and out? You're like, man, this is a corporation. I'm sure you could have better internet or phone service than this. It's like, you know. And then have you ever been in that moment where you've been on hold so long that the music just stops playing? And you're like, hello? Or the worst part is, is where you hear somebody get on the phone and you hear go, and it goes back to the music. You're like, you were just here. I've been waiting 15 minutes. Remember my buddy, I was seeing a post from him. He was like, dude, I am so sick and tired of the DMV, the Secretary of State. It's the worst place ever. Because I went online to try to get ahead of the game. I went online to see exactly what documents I would need. I just needed to renew my license. My license was expiring, so I found out everything that I needed. And so I went, and I grabbed everything, and I went, and I waited two hours. Then I waited three hours. And then in the fourth hour, they finally called my number. And when I got up there, they're like, oh, so you don't have your passport on you? I don't need my passport. I got my social security card. I got everything in. They're like, no, you're supposed to have your passport as well, too. It's like, but you didn't say that on the website. Well, too bad. That's what we need from you today. So I'm sorry. You're just going to have to go back and get more document information from you. And sometimes that's what it feels like our life is like. I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I've been waiting. I've done everything that I was supposed to do. I did everything that I showed up to church, I served, I helped the little old lady across the street. I did everything that I was supposed to do, only to feel like every time I'm close to my breakthrough, I get turned back. It never happens for me, it happens for everybody else. I've put in the work, I do what I'm supposed to do. I don't know if this is relating to somebody in here. What happens when you know what to do, but even that seems to be failing? The other day was a really cold winter day. Christine had already left, taking the kids to school. She was already at HQ. She was in the office already, and it was about 20 degrees got ready, got outside, went to turn on my car. Clink, didn't work. Clink, didn't work. Eventually the lights all went out in my car, the little door sound went away, and so I went back to the hood and I opened it up, I looked at the battery, I checked out everything, there was no leaks under the car, wiggled the battery thing, Heard the sound go ding, 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 ding. Oh, cool. Go back into the car. Click. Didn't work. Click. All the lights went out. Went back. Messed with it again. Held it just right. Ding, 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 ding. All the lights on. Ran inside real quick. Click. 
Some of us are in that space right now. Sure, I put the battery on, the cable's on just right. I heard the ding, ding, ding. I walked into church, I got excited, and it felt like I walked right back into failure. Felt like I walked right back into disappointment. Today's message, I believe, is for you and I, whoever you is, who's in this situation. How do you keep up the faith while you're still in the fight? How do you stay determined when all you see is disappointment? How do you stay on the path of purpose when all you feel is pain? You know, last week I said that message was going to kind of be the cliffhanger in this series called We Can't Stay Here. This message is in between the series. It's the infomercial. They've been watching something. And the infomercial pops in right through. Like, hold on, what does this have to do with what we're just watching? But it has everything to do with what we're dealing with. Because what you're going to figure out in this message, the, the way you're feeling right now, the situation that you're wrestling with right now, situation I'm wrestling with right now, we can't stay here. I know a breakthrough is coming. I know my God won't stop now. So if you got your Bibles, go to Mark chapter 9. If you do not have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Our house crew would love to give you and hand you a Bible. It's on page 493. If you grab a Bible, there's somebody right there in the back. We've got somebody here on the left. If you need a Bible, we've got one in the front row. And listen, if you don't have a Bible, this is your Bible. This is our gift to you. Take it, hold it, keep it, write in it, put your name in it, highlight. Mark chapter 9, verse 14. As you guys go to that, I'm going to pray one more time. God, this is your time. This is your word. Speak to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So Mark chapter 9, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening right now. Um, Jesus has called out three of his disciples. Jesus called out three of his inner circle. They've gone up to the mountain. They're about to be led in on a special experience. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration, where Jesus has a personal conversation with God, his heavenly father. Jesus transfigured in that moment. They get to witness something incredible, something special. Jesus, who's looking just like you and I, bro, like just a regular human being, when he gets up on that mountain, his face shines bright. His clothes go white as snow. It's blinding. It's amazing. They're part of this crazy experience. Before then, Jesus Jesus had gone up, he was praying, and now he's brought them into his little situation. And the crazy thing is that he's with his inner circle. These are the three closest disciples to him. And I feel like making a quick side note. Even Jesus had favorites. And I just felt 
compelled to say that, listen, there's, if no one is accusing you of favoritism, you're not developing anyone. Pastor, I always see you around these people. Uh, I hope you're not playing favorites. I am. So what? I still love you. I love everybody. But here's the deal. I can't say that. Can I say that? I was going to start trouble. I love everybody. But I don't want to hang out with everybody. There's certain people I just like hanging out with. I like hanging out with Mike Mangus, I realized, because he's funny. I, I found out yesterday Mike Mangus is actually very, very funny. I don't like hanging out with Jose because he wears Crocs. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> so Jesus with his inner core, they're up on the mountain. Uh, he's left his nine disciples. They're down uh, dealing with the people. They're kind of handling things while Jesus is off. Uh, Jesus must be very trusting because if we know anything about his disciples, they're a bunch of dysfunctional crew. You know, at this point in time, they're still learning. They're still growing in faith. They're still growing in, in even their belief and trust in Jesus. And a guy shows up in this story, shows up, and he's expecting to see Jesus. And he doesn't see Jesus. He sees the other nine disciples. And so because Jesus is not there, he's like, well, you know what? You guys are the closest to Jesus. You guys have been around him all the time. I see you guys healing and helping people. So I need you guys to help me out in this situation. So he asked them, hey, can you look out for me in this situation? And the disciples fail. They absolutely fall flat on their face. They fail to help the man the way they were supposed to help him. And now it gets really, really messy. Everybody's upset. There's some religious leaders there who are like, see, I told you the disciples are a fraud. I told you that Jesus dude is a fraud. I told you that you shouldn't have brought him here. Now he's looking dumb. He's looking stupid. His wife is probably at home like, you better come back with a miracle. And he's like, man, I got to go back. There's no miracle happening. So there's a lot of frustration and commotion happening. And that's when Jesus shows up. Praise God for Jesus showing up in the middle of our mess. So we find him in verse 14. Showing up, it says, and when they came to the disciples, talking about Jesus and the rest of the crew, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and the scribes arguing with them. They're having a contentious debate. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody's angry. There's a big dispute taking place. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, talking about Jesus. And he asked them, what y'all arguing about? What the heck is going on? Why is all of this mess happening right now? He says, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Jesus comes down from the mountain, sees a whole bunch of mess taking place. Jesus steps in, says, hey, what's going on? Why is this thing messy? Why is everything happening right now? Why is everybody arguing? And this man steps up and says, my son has a demon, Jesus. If you're new to faith, if you 
uh, don't really understand the supernatural and all that type of stuff, we do believe that, you know, there is demons, there is negative spirits that are in this world due to the fall in the Garden of Eden. Uh, when sin entered the world, Satan entered into the world, and now he's freely roaming with his demons. And sometimes they possess people. They take a hold of some unassuming individual or somebody who opens themselves out to the supernatural through whatever uh, cases that it may be. And now this is what happens to his son. This man is like, my son is demon-possessed. He's got a spirit. He's got an unnatural being living inside him, and it's messing with him. And so I brought him here to be helped, and your disciples failed. Jesus, where were you when I needed you? As soon as he gets there, he's like, Jesus, I came for you, and you weren't here. And so I turned to your disciples, and they failed. So essentially, Jesus, you failed me. Jesus, where were you? Why weren't you here to help me? Jesus, why weren't you here when I called out to you? Why weren't you here when I came looking for you? Now, everybody's upset. Everybody's arguing. Everybody's blaming everybody. Can you just see the situation right now? The religious leaders who hate Jesus and his disciples are blaming them for being fakes and frauds. The disciples are so upset because they're like, well, you guys didn't believe enough. You guys didn't create an atmosphere of belief. You guys came in here already hostile. And the father's like, Jesus, I'm blaming you. I'm blaming all my friends who are with me. I'm blaming your disciples who failed me. Everybody is blaming everyone. No one is taking responsibility for their own actions. No one is taking responsibility that maybe, just maybe, I'm to blame in this situation. Point number one, if you're following along, don't blame others for the victories you can't claim. Don't blame others for the victories you can't claim. It goes on in verse 19. And he answered, this is Jesus answering them, Oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. Oh, I wish we wouldn't read past texts in the Bible so easily. Oh, faithless generation. You see what Jesus is saying? That is a harsh rebuke. That's like he is checking them. He is calling them to the table. You ever had somebody call you to your table? There's a story about Zach and his brother. It's so hilarious about when Zach accepted Jesus Christ. You don't mind me telling this story because you've shared it before. And Zach is in this situation. He's with his brother. His brother's ministering to him, whatever. And finally, his brother just calls him to the table. He's like, dude, you need Jesus. You ever been to that point with somebody where you're like, I don't care about your excuses. I don't care about anything that you got to say right now. Here's the deal. You suck as a human being. Stop talking about, oh, this person hates me. Oh, this person treats me like this. No, you just are a terrible human being. Let's be honest. I love you enough to tell you that. Zach, you're not a terrible human being. I'm using a different example now. See how I went to this side of the audience? We love you, Zach. He goes, you faithless generations, you lack faith in God. 
You don't believe in the promises that God has. Uh, you're, you're doubting God's ability. You're, you're doubting the supernatural. You're not believing that this can really happen. All of you guys, you faithless generation. The term generation includes everybody. He's looking at his disciples who've been following him, his disciples who he had given authority over spirits to. He says, you faithless generation. He looks at the religious leaders and says, you faithless generation. He looks at the father and says, yeah, you may have brought your son here, but guess what? You're faithless as well, too. Whew. Ouch. Ouch. That hurts. People surrounding the father were faithless. The father is in a faithless situation. Listen, we got to watch the company we keep. Do you have friends in your life who are fueling your faith? or taking the fuel out of your faith? Do you have people who are believing with you, who are saying, yes, I'm believing in that miracle with you. I believe that God is able. I believe you're gonna get a breakthrough. I believe God is gonna open doors. I believe God is gonna heal that situation. I believe that God is with you, not against you. I believe with you. It seems that in this situation, everybody is lacking faith. He is surrounded, this man who's come to see Jesus, this man who's hoping for a miracle, he's surrounded by people who are causing him to doubt if this is really going to happen. And when you take a survey of the people around you, are the people around you fueling or taking the fuel out of your faith? Point number two. Your circle, your inner circle, those close to you will help or hinder your faith. This is practical. It's one of those teachings where you're just like, yeah, yeah, that, you know what, that's very true. But sometimes it's so easy to forget the basics. It's so easy to put, around, uh, put ourselves around people who dampen our faith. To put ourselves around doubting people. I don't want to hang out with doubting people. I want to hang out with people who are believing on a big God who can use little us to accomplish big things for his glory. I want to believe in people who believe in the supernatural. Who believe that God is able. Who believe that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power that is living inside of us. I need some faith-filled, spirit-filled, Holy Ghost-believing people around me. If you are a doubter, this ain't the place for you. Because I don't want my faith to be hindered by your doubt. Who's in your tribe? Goes on to verse 22. We start at verse 20, actually. It says, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. It says, and they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, Immediately it convulsed the boy. Whenever we see in scripture uh, demonic spirits encountering Christ, demonic spirits encountering uh, the holy, they immediately react. They're scared, they're fearful, they're in the place where this one individual can say a word and they will be cast out. So it starts to convulse him and he falls on the ground and he rolls about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asks his father, how long has this been happening to him? And his father said, from childhood. 
and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. Don't. Listen, there may be some people who, in here who don't really, like, get down or believe in the supernatural, who don't believe in demons and don't believe in all this type of stuff. Let me tell you something. There's that saying, which I believe is very true. The greatest trick that the devil ever pulled is to convince the world that he does not exist. Don't play. Just this week, in part of RLC, our relevant leadership college, I told the story of one of my friends who had a demonic episode, and the one thing that it wanted to do is it wanted to throw him over the banister, and he was yelling, and it was screaming, and it was convulsing, and he was trying to throw himself over the banister. Listen, the devil wants to kill you. I'm just going to put it out there. The enemy comes to seek, kill, and destroy. This is not a thing to be played with. It says wants to cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. The spirit saw Jesus and it reacted. Reacted. Can I free somebody today? That person that hates you? It may not be them. It might be the spirit inside of them seeing the spirit of the living God in you and they want to hate on you. That person that you don't understand why every time you come around they get crazy. They want to talk bad about you. They want to talk all type of negative about you. They want to uh, cuss at you. They want to say all types of things in you. Maybe it's not them. The Bible tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against spiritual principles. In the, Listen, it may not be them. It may be the spirit dwelling inside of them. Students. It does not mean when you go back to school and that person hates on be like, you got a demon, I'm praying for you. <laughs> I know it's not really you, Susie. It's the demon. It's the devil inside of you, girl. But here's the reality, guys. Darkness cannot stand with light. Before you get all high on your tail saying, like, oh, yeah, it's a demon inside of them. Maybe it's two demons fighting against each other. Hello, somebody. Man, I came in here not pulling any punches, Lewis. What happened? This was supposed to be a, a life-giving message. He says, how long has this been happening? How long has this situation taken place? And the answer, Amy... When I read this, I almost broke down in tears. He says, from childhood. Imagine that raw emotion when, 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 when he brings his son to Jesus to come and get saved, and this demon inside of him sees Jesus, and, and all of a sudden it starts to convulse, and he's all over the floor, and he's foaming at the mouth, and everybody is watching it, and they're, oh, my God, oh, oh, my Lord. Jesus says, how long have you had to deal with this situation? And he's like, from childhood. My baby has been dealing with this for years. 
We've had to wrestle in disappointment for years. We've been fearful for years that this is the fate of our baby boy. He's been plagued for years, Jesus. I've had to see my son suffer for years. And if I'm honest, I've been carrying resentment for years, Jesus. And how many of us have that thing that we've been wrestling with for years? That pain that we've been dealing with for years, that disappointment that we've been dealing with for years. If Jesus came in this room and he sat down with you one-on-one individually and he asked you, how long have you been dealing with this? Many of us will look down and say, Jesus, for years. It's been years. Jesus, the disappointment has been so deep because I've carried it for years. Every time I think things are going to change, it just shows up that it's still the same. It's been like this for years. And I was hoping for better, but it hasn't changed for years. God. I thought things were going to change. I did what I was supposed to do. Hadn't changed for years. The hurt has been here for years. The pain has been here for years. The sickness has been here for years. The brokenness has been here for years. The whatever you fill in the blank hasn't been there for years. That's what he says in verse 22. He said, but if you can do anything. Oh, man. But if you can do anything. You see, you see the father? He's just, he's finally just slumped over. He's watching his baby boy sitting down on the ground. He's so disappointed. He's so hurt. He's so frustrated. He can't even look Jesus in the face. He's just looking at his son. He's looking at the situation. He's looking at the hopelessness. He's looking at the brokenness. He's looking at the pain. He's looking at the frustration. And he says, but if you can, do anything. Anybody admit, you don't even have to raise your hand. I just want you to admit in your soul, have have you just been there? Are you there where you're just like, Jesus, I can't even look at you anymore. Just... If you can do anything, if you can do anything in my situation, if you can change it around, just, Jesus, if you could just help me out real quick. Jesus, I see you blessing everybody. I saw you up on the mountain hanging out with your favorite crew. Jesus, I know I'm not your favorite. Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. Jesus, I know I just, I just did something last night that you're disappointed with, but Jesus, Jesus, I, I know I haven't been perfect. I haven't had a perfect faith, but if you can. What does he say? He says, if you can, <laughs> have compassion on us.
Y'all been in that space. Listen, I know I've been in that space. I told you at the beginning of this series, I was like, this message series is one of the most personal message series that I've ever had to preach. Have compassion on me. Have pity on us. You know, this word that's used, compassion, is like, listen, Jesus, I know I'm not worth it. Jesus, I know I don't deserve it. He says, have compassion on us. What did he say at the end of verse 22? And help us. You know, it's kind of one of those situations where we're watching TV and an infomercial does pop up to, like, feed the hungry, feed the children. They're leaning into our pity. Here's the deal. We don't ever watch those commercials and be like, yes, I get to help people in the middle of Sudan. This is great. Be honest, we, I mean, unless you're a special breed of people. I've never looked at them and like, this is awesome. I get to do something about it. I'm always looking like, God, wow. I am so sorry these people are in this situation. And that's what is appealing to God. He says, God, I just want you to feel sorry for me. Have pity on us. Feel sorry for us. Check this out. Oh, man. (laughs) He says, but if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And look at Jesus' response. I want you to read, just look at it. Just read it real quick by yourself before I even mention it. I want you to notice something there. There's double quotation marks in there. And there's an exclamation point at the end. Jesus repeats his very words. He says, well, Jesus, if you can do anything. And Jesus looks up at him, and he's just like, uh, Alice, can you come here? Come here real quick. Let me show you something. Let me, let me show you something. Come, 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 come. Sit right here. So you're the guy. You're the guy. You're disappointed. Look down. You're, you're very sad. This is uh, Alex, everybody. Uh, he's looking sad. He's disappointed. So I want you to say, If you can do anything, just real sad like, if you can do anything. No, that was a little strong. You got to do a little sadder. You got to be like you're depressed. You're really sad. Uh, If you can do anything. That's what the man says. And if you read the context of how it looks like, if you see the double quotation marks, Jesus repeats his very word, puts an exclamation mark at the end, and he comes over, lifts up his head. If you can, don't worry about what I can do if you can. I can do all things. Can you? If you can. He says, listen, put your head up, boy. If you can. What did he say? Verse 23. He says this. He says this. If you can, all things are possible for those who believe. Don't worry about what I can do. I can do everything. I can do everything before, after, and in between. Can you believe? Do you have the faith enough to believe? Can you? I know I can't. Thank you, Alex. Everybody give Alex a round of applause. He's like, I know I can. Can you? And this is the turning point of the message. 
This is where everything shifts. This is where Jesus changes everything. You're dealing with disappointment and you're wondering if God can help you. What about you? Can you believe? Can you believe enough to know that Jesus is able? Can you believe to know that Jesus is for you, not against you? Can you believe that God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the author and finisher of your faith? Can you believe? Can you believe? Jesus like, boy, don't look at me like that. Don't just quit with the pity. Can you believe? But check this out, how the man answers. It says, immediately. The father of the child cried out. In other translation, it says, with tears. He's got tears streaming down his eyes. He is convicted. He's fully embraced the situation, what's going on. He's fully convicted by Jesus' words. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. What is he saying here? I realize that I'm the issue. I've lacked the faith. I've been the one to believe in part. I'm the most authentic that I am right now. Jesus, it's been me. I'm looking at the disciples as disappointment. I'm looking at my friends for not helping me believe. But here goes the reality of the situation. It's not them. It's not you for not being around. It's been me all along. Even when I came all the way here, the faith that I had was too weak to even believe that you could do it. I believe. Heal my unbelief. Jesus, I've lived defeated. How many of you in here have lived defeated? How many of us saying, uh, listen, Jesus, I've lived accepting my fate. It's been me all along. I believe. Help my unbelief. The faith that got me here, I realize, is not going to help me in any other situation. So, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe, but I can't stay here. I need greater faith. I need more hope. I need crazy faith. Help my unbelief. He recognizes that his current faith was inadequate for the miracle that he needed. Point number three, if you're following along. All right, I'm going to wrap up this in just a few moments. That's what I said last week. Point number three, the faith that you have today will not be adequate for the miracle you need tomorrow. The faith that you have today will not be adequate for the miracle that you need tomorrow. And I want to take a moment to teach you just a little side note. I'm going to go um, uh, uh, a little academic on you for a quick second. We're going to take this into an RLC Relevant Leadership College class for just a second. There's three aspects of saving faith. But I also want to tell you like this. There's three aspects of transformative faith. If you want to have transformative faith in your life, if you want to get to the point where you believe that God can do anything, if you want to believe that God is able, if you want to believe that Jesus Christ is able, that Jesus changes everything, I want you to know that faith is not just a simple, casual acceptance of truth. Faith is not just a thing that like, oh, yeah, I have faith, I, I believe, I'm good, I understand. Faith is not simply cognitive. Faith is much deeper than that. There's three aspects of faith. Saving faith is faith 
Transformative faith is faith that precedes justification. What's justification? Justification is when you say yes to Jesus Christ, you are now justified. There's a legal declaration that says you are no longer a sinner. You are now a saint. It's immediate. It's in that moment. You don't have to work towards it. You don't have to do anything for it. All you've got to say is I acknowledge Jesus Christ came to this earth, died for my sins, rose again, and is coming back to get me. In that moment, you are justified. You are sealed. You are protected. You are now safe in the hands of Jesus. Transformative faith starts with justification. It's the faith that justifies you. Then in the second part, it's the faith that sanctifies you. What does that mean? It is a faith that helps you stop, let me say it like this, where you don't become sinless, but you start sinning less. It's an experience in your life where you become whole. It says as you behold, you become changed. The more you look at Jesus, the more you believe in Jesus, the more you trust Jesus, the more your sinful ways, all your craziness begins to fall off of you. Ten years later, five years later, three months later, you're looking at yourself and like, man, I'm not where I want to be, but praise God, I'm not where I used to be. Transformative faith also empowers your interaction with Christ. It makes your faith real. It goes not only from an acknowledgement, not only from a transformation in that moment, but it also begins to believe in the power that can be accessed through Jesus Christ. So three aspects of transformational faith. Number one is notitia. It talks about the data. Faith always has an object. Everyone in here has faith in something. Every single one of you in here has faith in that chair that you're sitting on. It's data. If I sit on it, it's going to hold me up. If I get into my car, it's going to turn on and get me to that uh, destination. Every single faith starts off with a point of reality, an object of faith. For Christians, it's Jesus. Our Our faith is in the Messiah. The one who was and is to come. The second, the, th- the, 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 the second part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus. Notitia starts off with the data. This is the knowledge of who Jesus is. And then we move to ascensus. Ascensus means assent. It means belief. That he is who he says he is. Yes, that Jesus Christ not only lived and walked on this earth 2,000 years ago, but he is also God's son. He is also the Messiah. He is also the healer. He is also the protector. He is the way, the truth, and the life. It's we assent to that belief. We understand that he is who he says he is. Three aspects of transformational faith. We all start out with the data of the knowledge who Jesus is. And then we move to ascensus, assent, the belief, the uh, the fact that he is who he says he is. But we can't stay here. We've got to move to fiducia. Fiducia or fiducia. It's trust. It is total reliance. It's what the writer says. In him we live, we move, and we have our every being. I cannot exist unless Jesus Christ is living through me. Like Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. It's fiducia. It's totally putting my total reliance and trust of my life, of my everything in Jesus Christ. Here's the reality. Many of us are stuck at one and two. 
we believe that Jesus existed, we believe that he is who he is, but we don't believe that we can totally rely on him. So we rely on our jobs and our career. We rely on relationships to give us worth. We rely on money. We rely on status. We rely on you fill in the blank. And at best, we are in one and two, we're in notition and census, and we've got a little dash of three. Remember that little dude that was uh, sprinkling some salt? We got a little bit of dash of three. We got a dash of three. But what I'm telling you, for our faith to become reality, from us to me, from believing and Jesus helping our unbelief, we got to move from merely notitia to essensus all the way to a full, total fiducia reliance on Jesus. Verse 25, this is the crux of the matter. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit. He called it out. He hold it accountable. He said to it, you mute and deaf spirit, you mute and deaf demon, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out of the convulsing and him terribly, it came out and the boy was like a corpse so that most of them said, he's dead. Jesus, you're supposed to help him, not kill him. What'd you do, Jesus? He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. Oh, man, this will preach. This will preach. Any area of your life that you feel is dead right now, just watch Jesus take you by the hand and lift you up of that grave. Any situation that you feel is incomplete, any situation that you feel cannot be changed, anything that you feel, it's a wrap. The fat lady has already sang, if you totally depend and trust in Jesus, he will come and grab you by your hand and lead you into life and life abundantly. You can't stay here. He comes and he lifts him up. Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he rose. But here's the situation. And when he entered the house, the other nine goofballs, sorry, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? That's a question that I want all of you guys to ask for every situation that you feel is hopeless in your life. Jesus, why haven't I seen change in this situation? Listen, Jesus, Jesus is big. God is a, he's big. Jesus is not like you. Like, we can ask God hard things. He's not afraid of our questions. In fact, he says, come let us reason together. God is a good, good father. He wants you to ask him questions. He wants you to dialogue with him. They say, why can we cast it out? I want to read it. I'm going to finish this, and I'm going to read it from a, different, uh, from a different chapter in the Bible, from one of the other Gospels. So it says, when they entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why can't we cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. Same situation, looked at from a different angle. Put up Matthew chapter 17, verse 19. Then disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? Look at the answer over here. 
He said to them, because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. There is a new possible for people who have faith. He says, you guys have little faith. You guys have weak faith. You guys have incomplete faith. You guys lack the belief. You guys like, like the trust. You don't have big, hairy, audacious, crazy faith. You got baby faith. You got infant faith. You got a little chromosome faith. I want you to have big, hairy, audacious faith. What does big, hairy, audacious faith look like? A mustard seed. The mustard seed is one of the smallest seeds out there. But the mustard plant is the biggest plant out there. If you had just a little bit of mustard seed faith, I don't want chromosome faith. I don't want atom faith. I want mustard seed faith. I want just a little bit more faith than you have right now. Because the faith you have right now ain't going to help you in the miracles you need tomorrow. You can't stay here. You can't stay with this little faith. I need you to have big faith. What's big faith? Mustard seed. What happens? You will be able to do the miraculous. So moving mountains was a term that they used back in the day as kind of like an allegory of what you can be able to do. So it didn't really mean that you're going to stand. Some of y'all going to stand outside and be like, mountain, move. In the name of Jesus. And you will be disappointed. I'm going to be over there like, ha! That's not what he meant. He says, listen, nothing will be impossible for you. The hurdles will be under your command. Wouldn't you love to have that type of faith? Where you can look at a situation in your life where you say, in the name of Jesus, I command that this is not what it's going to be. But my God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly all I can ask, think, or imagine. In the name of Jesus, I command you to be removed. Obstacle, I command you to be removed. Situation, I command you to be removed. Sickness, I command you to be removed. Pain, I command you to be removed. Disappointment, I command you to be removed. Hurt, I command you to be removed. But how do we get there? How do we get this mustard seed faith? How do we get there? Well, we, we get it from the answer before. He says this kind can only come out by prayer. In other translation, it says by prayer and fasting, a total dependence Total reliance on God. He says, y'all want to have big faith? You want to have crazy faith? You want to have big, audacious, crazy, hairy faith? Guess what? Start praying. Because this kind can only come out by faith. What kind? I don't know. Maybe for you, it's your marriage. That kind. I don't know. From you, it may be your career. That kind. Maybe for you, it's your education. You're like, I don't know if I'm going to graduate or not. That kind. Maybe for you, it's that sin that so easily 
entraps you and throws you back. Maybe it's that kind. God, why have I even, why have I not been able to get past this moment? Because you have little faith. And you can't have big faith if you're not praying for faith. You want big faith? Pray big. You want to grow in your faith? Grow your prayer. Point number four. Faith is a muscle that can only be built up by prayer. Faith is a muscle that we can only be built up by prayer. I read that to you already. I said it from memory. Ephesians 3.20. We can pull it up on the screen. God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than all that we can ask or think according to the power at work within us. The power is already inside of us. The big faith is already living inside of us. We've got to be able to access it through prayer. God has already given us the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. The same power that raised Lazarus from the dead. The same power that called out for the world to be created. Ex nihilo. Something out of nothing lives inside of you. So why are you living defeated? If you've got the power inside of you, why don't you access it? Well, how do we do that, preacher? Prayer. Power comes from prayer. Faith is power set ablaze by prayer. God has given you the power according to the power at work within you. You have to exercise the faith. Do you know why? Divine favor must be met with human faith. We've been saying that all series long. In fact, we started saying that on Vision Sunday. Divine favor. You already have the favor. The power is already inside of you. Now you got to meet it with your human faith. What is that thing in your life that you're struggling with? What is that thing in your life that you're disappointed about? What is that thing in your life you just feel like you can't get a breakthrough? Can I tell you something? I dare you to pray big prayers. Not little prayers. Not like, if you will, if you just have a little pity on me, Jesus. Jesus, I know I don't deserve it. Of course you don't deserve it. None of us deserve anything. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We don't deserve it, but the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Divine favor must be met by human faith. God is not looking for people who merely believe in him. He's looking for people who will believe him. Do you believe him? He says, I know I can, but can you? Can you believe? Can you trust Alex? Can you trust Jonathan? Can you trust Jim? Can you trust Jose? Can you, Matt? Can you? Can you? Can you? Can you believe? Thank you again for joining us on the Relevant Church Podcast. If this message has been impactful to you, let us know by sending an email to hello at thisisrelevant.cc. If God is impacting your life through this ministry, join us in reaching others by investing at giving.thisisrelevant.cc. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast for more messages like this one.